Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 133, dealing with specific groups. So Dinor and I have talked in the last few episodes about how to deal with those difficult people in your life. And in this episode, we're going to do a deeper dive into how to deal with difficult students if you're a teacher, difficult classmates if you're a student, and difficult professors. So for professors, let's talk about dealing with difficult students. The first step, as contradictory as it sounds, as non-intuitive as it sounds, is to trust them. Because there are a lot of times that it may seem like a student is being difficult just to be difficult. But that's almost always not the case. It's almost always that difficult behavior is communicating something that maybe the student doesn't have words for. So it's common knowledge among elementary school teachers, for example, that bullies are often copying the behavior of the adults in their lives. So they may have an abusive parent or other family member, and so to them, bullying is normal. That's just what people do. And that means addressing the bullying behavior might have to go a lot farther than just the student. Now, if you have a bullying student at the college level, of course, then just use the same techniques that we've suggested for bullies in earlier episodes in this series. But let's also take a look at some other kinds of behavior that might seem difficult but isn't really intended that way. If a student is openly rude or challenging your knowledge or expertise, there are several ways to handle that. First, assume the student is not doing this deliberately. They may have a personal history where challenging the teacher's expertise was how they got noticed in class, and it's become their go-to method of getting teacher attention. Second, Instead of taking questions verbally, have each student write down their questions on an index card. Collect the index cards and answer the most valid or relevant questions in class, and let your students know if you didn't answer the one they wrote down, they can email you with it. Or maybe have a discussion board on the learning management system where students can post questions for discussion with their classmates, and they can respond to each other as well. Third, you can set up some class policies. For example, questions must be on topic, inside the class topic, and they must be on point, dealing with the current lecture's material. Mismanners rules apply. No personal attacks and no name calling. Now, on the other hand, if the student is asking question after question after question after question, especially if their questions seem to be more about personal issues they're having with the class or kind of tangential to the main points of the lecture, teachers often assume a student is doing this purposely to derail the class. But if in reality the student is neurodivergent, like if they're autistic or they have ADHD, even if it's undiagnosed, it probably doesn't even occur to them that they're derailing the class. They're just asking the questions that come to them. So taking that student aside and saying, 
Joe, I'm going to limit you to four questions per class session because other students need to talk too. That can often help. It'll make them aware of it. They might be shocked. This also works for the student who monopolizes your office hours. You can set up one time per week that they can come in, but everything else needs to be in one email for the week. So you could say, save up all your questions and send me one email with all of them at the end of the week. And that often helps stop the barrage of emails that a student like this can produce. This is also very common for students who are smart or who perceive themselves as smart because this is again how they got the teacher's attention by asking the questions and by being the one with all the answers. And so one way to handle this is in class you can let every student have two index cards with their name on them and they can use them to ask questions by handing them in when they ask a question. That's also a great way to track participation. So collect the cards at the end of every session hold on to the ones that were turned in during class, those are your kids who get participation points, and then hand them back out again the next time. How do these responses tie in with trusting your students? Basically, you're giving your students the benefit of the doubt. You're not assuming students are being difficult on purpose or maliciously. That, for many students, is a really big deal, especially if they're not aware they're being difficult, because sometimes that's just how their family acts, or that's what worked in high school, so students think it's normal. Next, personalize what you emphasize. Work with students on a case-by-case -case basis to improve skills and knowledge base. Most of this should be done in office hours, of course, not in front of the class. With a difficult student, this can mean talking about how asking so many questions might mean they need to learn how to process information quietly. Some students, when asking lots of questions, are thinking out loud and processing by talking. Or it might mean talking with the root student about how they come across. They may be completely unaware of it and asking how they would want other students to see them. Find ways to personalize the feedback you give in class when you can. Thanks, David, for bringing our attention to this issue. Or I really appreciate Carol's contribution earlier when she pointed out that I missed this important concept. After that, we suggest some positivity. Believe that your students can do it and tell them you do. One thing Denor has started doing for tests is instead of saying, good luck, he tells the students, trust your preparation and trust your work. Because that puts the focus on things that students can control. And that sends the message that you trust their efforts and you want to instill some confidence in them. Whereas, you know, luck, by definition, that's kind of out of their control. Not really that helpful. Create a safe space. And when we say a safe space, we mean an intellectually safe space, a creative safe space, an emotional and a physical safe space. Because remember, you share your classroom space with students and there's going to be some feedback effect, but ultimately you're the teacher. Your classroom is your space. That means you get to set the tone. One thing that I tell my students every class at the beginning of the term is, I'm here to work with my students. I'm not here to work against them. I'm not here to trick them. We're discussing whatever the main topic of the class happens to be. And we're going to be professional about this. We're going to work together. And in general, having this relaxed, friendly, professional approach, I think it's worked amazingly because I typically have really engaged students. I've got students that work well together, and we deal with controversial topics, especially when we get into current crimes. People have a lot of opinions, 
and they offer us ways to use class material that we hadn't planned on. And I would also say that be prepared when you say things like this for your students to be a little bit suspicious, a little bit cynical. You know, yeah, I've heard that before. And then the teacher comes down and says, you're not allowed to do it. You know, a lot of students really, given the environments that they came from in high school, have some trouble trusting teachers. They've gotten used to seeing us as people that they have to fight for their grade. You know, and so I tell my students, this is not a cage match. I know that some of you would prefer that, but you don't have to fight me for your grade. You just have to do the work. And I like what you said, Denor, about, you know, I'm here to work with you, not against you. And I may adopt that as well. Another thing that really helps students is if you help them rediscover that this learning thing can be fun. You know, in early episodes, we talked about the academic pinch points, the times when school just stopped being fun. But fun is a three-letter word. It's not a four-letter word. It's not a bad thing. So rediscovering what made learning fun for your students will probably get them to want to come to class and be engaged because then class becomes something to look forward to instead of, oh, God, I've got to go to Dr. Smith's class again. It's, it's no longer drudgery. The way that I do this is that early in the semester, I ask my students, I actually take them through this exercise where I ask them to rediscover the wonder they had about learning when they were six. That, oh, wow, cool reaction that they had to things like the teacher taking red paint and blue paint and mixing together. Oh, it makes purple paint. That's so cool. Or turning over a rock right after a rainstorm and discovering the bugs or the worms under it. Remember roly polies, the little bugs that curl up into a ball, you touch them and they go, that's so cool, right? But also make sure you have creative assignments. These can be reflections. They can be observations in the real world if they're done safely. You can find non-academic readings that relate to things you cover in class. Show the student how the stuff from their textbook or their readings does actually exist outside the classroom. You know, show them how this really does exist in the real world. Now, the next group that we'd like to talk to is for students dealing with difficult classmates. Let's face it, we've all worked or been in classes with someone difficult. When that happens, identify, figure out what bothers you about the classmate. Why does their behavior bother you? Once you've identified why they bug you so much, go back to our episodes 131 and 132 on dealing with difficult people and see if you can apply those principles and guidelines to your situation. Another thing to do with the classmate who is a problem, put yourself in their place. If you were them, what might be causing that behavior? It's kind of like the advice that we gave teachers about, you know, give your students the benefit of the doubt. Well, give your classmates the benefit of the doubt. Is their behavior deliberate? Probably not. You know, it, it could be, but it's probably not something where they decided, oh, I'm going to make class difficult for everybody today. I, you know, most people who are difficult don't usually go that far. They're not usually that decisive about it. It's just something they do because, again, it may be what they're used to or it may be what they grew up with as normal. Or they simply aren't self-aware enough to realize they're bugging other people. I mean, let's be honest. Most college students are still between the age range of 18 to 22. And most people between 18 and 22 are not terribly self-aware yet. Don't sit on your resentment or let the situation fester. When you've identified why their behavior bugs you and possible reasons that aren't malicious for why they're doing it, address the behavior. Ask them to have coffee so you can talk it out. Or, if that's not possible or safe, bring it to their attention in an email or a text message. 
but don't sit on it or carry it around with you. Address it calmly, just as we've outlined in the first two episodes of the series. Another thing a lot of people don't think about, but maybe we should, is if you're feeling like you're not being respected, show respect to earn respect when you sit down to talk with them about the problems. Again, this goes right back to what we talked about in episodes 131 and 132. When you have that difficult conversation, remember, you want to help them save face. Let them be right when you can, and generally, don't treat them as the problem to be solved. Treat them as a partner in solving the problem. And if all that doesn't work, ask your professor to get involved. When all else fails, you may need to ask authority to step in and lay down some rules. If you have an ongoing conflict with a classmate and you haven't been able to resolve it, that's something the professor needs to know about. If things escalate, the professor has access to resources like campus security, the dean of students, and student conduct to address a really difficult or dangerous person. You don't have to do it all yourself. And now we get to the third part of this particular episode, and it's, it's a touchy space because those of us who are professors don't like thinking that we might be the problem, that we might be the difficult person. But I will ask the professors listening to this to think back to your own days in undergrad and even grad school, and remember those professors who were real pains in the ass. Now, when I was a baby student in undergrad and then in grad school, one of the things I learned to do real quick was to take the professors I didn't like and make them examples of what not to do. So like there was this one professor who never posted his lecture slides, but his lectures were total rambling and nobody could ever figure out how they connected to anything we were learning. And so I made a note, don't do that, do the opposite, right? But right now, there's also quite a few students listening to this episode and to this podcast who are probably dealing with difficult professors. And so in our research, we found a list of four types of difficult professors, the bad explainer, the busy work assigner, the unfair grader, and the rude professor. So we're going to go over each of these types and ways to handle them. And professors listening, if you think you're one of these types, maybe think about addressing that. So the bad explainer well, this kind of professor, we've all had him, we've all had her, we've all had them. They really don't understand that you don't understand. Because for them, the topic is so obvious that they just can't really see why anyone wouldn't understand it. The fact that they've been steeped in it for 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, that does not occur to them. Some of my research calls this professional unawareness. They assume everyone knows it. Because they've known it for so long, it feels like common knowledge to them. It feels like something they learned in grade school, not grad school. So bad explainers are really known for going off on tangents, not having any organized method to their teaching, jumping around in their explanations, which just confuses everyone else, and forgetting to tell you what key terms or key concepts are, again, because to them it's just obvious. So to handle the bad explainer, Go to office hours and bring specific written questions that target exactly what you don't understand. Now, often the professor will be shocked to hear their explanation didn't make sense to you because in their head it made sense. I had a professor in undergrad and they expected a population and demographics class to understand statistical output from a program none of us had ever seen, used, or worked with. 
And then when all of us were sitting there in total confusion, not understanding what they wanted us to do, that professor got really frustrated with us because they thought we already had this knowledge because how could we not? So I went to their office hours after the class and I said, I don't know what this sheet of paper is. And I held up the statistical output and they're all, well, it's statistical output from blah, blah program. And I said, I've never used that program. I've never seen anything like this. And your entire lecture made no sense to me because I have no idea what you're talking about when you say significant value. What is that and where do I find it? I've never taken statistics. The professor ended up bewildered and just shaking their head because they had not realized that their students would have come into the class not already having taken statistics, not already having seen this kind of material. And the next day, to their credit, they apologized to the entire class and they said, all right, I'm eliminating these six assignments because I assumed that everybody would understand what I was asking, but none of you have taken statistics and none of you have used that program. So there's no way you could do these assignments. So office hours with specific questions is the solution to the bad explainer. And as a plus, it may bring their attention to the fact that they are one. So they'll try to improve. That's a win-win. Now, if even office hours doesn't work, then go find a tutor. Many campuses have tutors who will be a lot better explainers than a bad explainer professor. And they'll often know about the bad explainer and be able to sympathize with you, if nothing else. The busy work assigner. We've all had, some of us have been, the professor who assigns similar work every single week do another problem set or another set of similar questions about the material it begins to feel boring and like the professor is measuring your grade by the amount of work you do rather than the quality of work you do. Handling the busy work assigner comes down to two things, determination and understanding. Determination helps you say, even though this feels stupid, it's part of the grade, so I'm going to get this question set done and out of the way early in the week. Don't let the format of a class you need to pass for your degree stop you from getting the work done. Understanding helps you see why the professor has set up the class this way, and often it helps reduce the idea that it's just busy work. For example, in a math class, you may need a lot of practice and repetition of certain kinds of equations over several weeks, so the problem sets or worksheets actually do have a learning purpose. Similarly, if it's a writing-heavy class, you should expect to do a fair amount of written work. A reaction paper every class might not be unreasonable, as it teaches you how to be a better writer. And vocabulary quizzes in a foreign language, that's just par for the course, right? You should expect that. But sometimes, yep. The busy work turns out to be just that, busy work. Why do these professors do this? Often, because that's how they were taught themselves in undergrad. So in their heads, that's how learning is supposed to work. Many professors have never taken any formal training in how to teach. They just reproduce how they're taught. And their professors never had any formal training either. So it's people who are unaware of how to best teach, mimicking other people, who weren't necessarily aware of how best to teach and reaching a frustration with their students. So if it's a busy work professor, try to view the work as practicing the new concepts and ideas you're learning. Just like having to practice your pitching or your free throws may not be especially fun, it's important to build up those muscles so you can bring your best game. Using classwork and homework like this Using them as practice tools for exams may actually end up being to your benefit. 
Now the third kind is the unfair grader. And unfair graders are usually found in classes where there's a lot of essays and subjective work assigned because more wiggle room means both more chances to award points to students or more chances to take points away, depending on how the professor views grading. So maybe the professor docks your grade because they didn't like your writing style, or they didn't like how you explained an idea, or even the sources and citation formatting that you use throughout the paper. Although unfair graders are more common in subjective classes where there's lots of writing, they also exist in math and natural science classes. Let's not pretend they don't. So the way to handle the unfair grader is to be proactive with them and respectfully stand up for yourself. Look over the comments, the feedback, and the rubric before talking to them and see, do their comments make sense to you? Now, if they don't leave any explanation for your grade or they leave contradictory comments throughout the essay or the exam, or they're really just disagreeing with your opinion rather than you falling short of expectations in terms of forming an argument and writing, then you might be dealing with an unfair grader. If the professor's explanation of the grade still leaves you wanting and you still think you deserved a better grade, respectfully approach the professor with your problems. This doesn't mean you have to be a grade grubber or grade beggar. Point out the highlights of your paper and ask the professor to clarify why exactly you got the grade you did. If you're nervous about approaching a professor about a grade, try doing it gently at first. Simply telling a professor that you'd like to discuss the paper you got back or saying, hi, professor, I had a quick question about this comment you made on my essay are easy, non-threatening ways to get into a discussion about your grade. If you enter the conversation in a relaxed and friendly manner, the professor is way more likely to listen to what you have to say. At that point, have a conversation, not demands, with your professor, and explain your case for a higher grade by telling the professor that you think you did a great job of presenting a certain argument or explaining your thought process in organizing your essay. Sometimes professors miss things when we're reading a bunch of papers in a short amount of time, and a low grade may be a function of being overwhelmed in the moment rather than us being arbitrarily and capriciously mean about a student's paper. Now, if the professor won't budge on the grade, then ask for a definitive list of things to improve on that will help you get a better grade next time. Holding the professor accountable for your improvement will make them look more critically and fairly at your next assignment instead of being just, you know, arbitrarily mean. Keep your own gradebook in a spreadsheet so you can keep track of how you're doing in the class. Keep your syllabus to reference back to different grade values. Make sure your professor is weighting the different assignments properly. You want to make sure that midterm you knocked out of the park is counting for that full 30% of your grade. And hang on to all of your graded assignments, because if you do end up having to contest a grade by taking it to the department chair or the dean, you want to make sure you have all your assignments in order to prove that you deserve the grade you're arguing for. Don't let a professor get away with mistakes just because you didn't keep all your materials. Don't throw away a test just because you're upset about the grade you got on it. This is less of a problem in classes with online submissions because the learning management system holds on to documents unless the person who uploaded them, meaning you, takes them down. But keep copies of all your graded assignments so that you can show them if you need to. And we hope you won't have to. And the last kind of problem professor is the rude professor. A rude professor is the one who might teach you all the right material in, in the right way, but when it comes to being a nice person, they fall short. They might say inappropriate things to the class or act hypocritically about class rules, such as not using the phone in class or not surfing the web. Or 
They may assume that you know just as much as they do about what they're teaching, and they're unpleasantly surprised when you don't. We talked earlier in the episode about professional unawareness. Sometimes that unawareness can be or can lead to rudeness. If a professor ever says something crossing a certain line, such as making personal attacks or making politically incorrect derogatory comments, report them to the school's administration immediately. Taking issues like this to a department's chairperson or dean is the best way to make sure these kinds of negative situations don't reoccur. Now, if a professor's rudeness is more like just something that grates on you, it's a thorn on your side, but it's nothing you can really point at, maybe it's just the way they come across, then turn the other cheek. We know this isn't immediately gratifying. When your professor rolls their eyes at one of your comments during a discussion, of course, you want to talk back to them. You want to call them out on it. But when you encounter a rude professor, don't go out of your way to be equally rude in return. Think of it like dealing with a rude boss. Yeah, they're a pain in the ass. But unfortunately, they still have some authority over you, whether it's your salary or your grades. Yes, it's totally tempting to cuss out a bad professor or bad boss in the moment. But in the long run, you're not going to gain anything from it. And what do you risk losing from blowing up? And with all four of these kinds of professors, one thing you can do is use them as practice for dealing with difficult people in your life, because you're going to run into people like this a lot. And of course, many of the techniques for dealing with difficult people, they don't have to be specific to professors. You can use them on bosses, you can use them on coworkers, you can use them on friends, you can use them on family members who are seen once a year at the Christmas dinner, you know, whoever it is, this will give you practice in dealing with difficult people. And that is a skill set a lot of employers are looking for. Teachers, you can help your students deal with difficult people. You can make it easier on yourself by discouraging free riders in your own classes. For ideas on that, listen to our episode 45. Give students some of the techniques we've been talking about in our last few episodes. Or just point them at the episodes as a whole so that students can listen to our advice about dealing with difficult people. That's what we have for you in episode 133. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. Also, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to join us next week for episode 134, when we'll talk about going home after your first semester in college. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. We look forward to seeing you next week.